Let's bow our heads together as we pray this morning. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the blood of Jesus that washes our sins away. We thank you for this opportunity that we have to gather together in this warm sanctuary to fellowship, to open your word, to be changed and challenged by a glimpse of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray that you'd bless us now as we enter into a study of Scripture. May you speak to our hearts. May our hearts be warmed as we look into the character and the face of Jesus Christ. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to another reading of the story that Zoe just read here this morning, except it's going to be in the book of Mark. We're continuing in our three, our part three of our five-part series of messages on the miracles of Jesus Christ. We're going all the way through into the middle of February, right up to our prophecy seminar, and I want to encourage you to come week by week as we continue in our series of messages, and we're going to be looking this morning at Mark's account of this storm that the disciples and Jesus went through, and it's found in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41, and I encourage you this morning to turn with me in your Bibles and follow along because I believe that there is a double blessing that you can get from reading it in your own Bibles as you interact with Scripture. Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41, Jesus has just in Mark chapter 4 given a series of different parables, the parable of the sower, the parable of the growing seed, and another parable that he spoke to them After these parables, Jesus, in verse 35, on the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. In my Bible, the words are in red, indicating that this is a command that Jesus spoke. It's a quote. The disciples did not have the idea of crossing over the Sea of Galilee. This was a decision that Jesus made. They were following Jesus' command, Jesus' direction. Jesus said, let us cross over to the other side. In verse 36, now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. Verse 37, the conflict, the plot thickens, and a great windstorm arose. And the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. The Sea of Galilee is located in the Middle East. It's a body of water that is 700 feet below sea level. I found out that it's actually the lowest freshwater body of water. Uh, water on earth, 700 feet below sea level. It's a humid area, and it's surrounded by mountains, which is the ingredients for a perfect storm. 
So what would happen is that the cold air from the mountains in the evening would descend down into the valley and mixed with the warmer air that was around the Sea of Galilee and great windstorms would often occur. As this windstorm is occurring, now remember, Jesus told them to cross the lake and so they're following Jesus' command going across the lake in their boats and as they're going across, they meet this huge storm. I would dare say that it is probably the storm of the century. I have a picture on the screen. I don't know if it was like this, but the Bible tells us that the disciples were scared. These were seasoned fishermen. They had gone through a series of storms during their lives, and probably in the beginning, Peter especially was probably like, you know, I got this. But as the storm started to ensue, and Peter started to do the calculation. He started to do the math and the water was coming into the boat and they reach a critical point of desperation. They are desperate. The Bible tells us that the waves were beating into the boat and the boat was filling up. They were in a critical point. Verse 38, but he, Jesus, was in the stern of the boat, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care? Now, there's a whole other sermon right there, which maybe I'll do on another day. But isn't it classic? Many people, they go through a storm. They're following Jesus' leading. They're following Jesus, and they hit a rough patch. And they say, Jesus, don't you care? Uh, This is so classic, and Mark got his account historically from Peter, so I think it's probably Peter that's saying this. I don't know for sure, but here it is. Teacher, master, don't you care? They wake Jesus up and say, don't you care that we are perishing? Then he, Jesus, arose and rebuked the wind and the sea and said, peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Jesus gets up, and he doesn't help the disciples bail. He gets up and talks to the wind and the sea, and he says, peace be still. You ever been in a room where there is a cacophony of noise? Just blaring. Well, this is what's taking place. This is a tumultuous situation. There's all this type of noise taking place, and suddenly Jesus gets up and speaks, and it goes from this condition to this condition. It's like someone hit the mute button all of a sudden. The wind is howling. The waves are beating into the boat. Jesus gets up. Peace be still. And all you can probably hear is the breath of the disciples. And they look over at Jesus and they're wondering in their hearts who he was. We go on in the story. Jesus takes this moment to teach them a little something about faith or ask them an introspective question about faith in verse 40. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And the Bible says, and they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be 
that even the wind and the sea obey him. The Bible, according to Mark, ends it in a way in which the question is framed, who is he that even the winds and the waves obey him? At this point, I just want to pause for a moment. We've gone through the story. I want to make a few observations as we hone in on our thesis here today. There's a myriad of things that you could preach about in this passage, and I encourage you in your spare time to go back through and draw out the lessons that are apparent in this passage. I want to hone in on the words of Jesus. I have it here on the screen. Peace be still. Jesus spoke these words, and it's as if the creation recognized the voice of the Creator. And the disciples asked, who is he? The implication is that this is not a mere man. This is the characteristics of divinity. Who is he? And it comes from this phrase that Jesus spoke Peace be still. It went from this condition to this condition after Jesus spoke the words. I'd like to pick it apart with you a little bit. I was very curious in my study this week as I looked at the words, peace be still. And as many of you know, I love expository preaching. But expository preaching is very uh, anxious because what I do in the beginning of the week, I go to the passage and I honestly don't know where I'm going to end up because I dig it out or I try to dig it out. I don't think in my mind this is what I want to preach about. Let me go find a passage. That's a more topical approach. But the stressful thing about this type of preaching is that you go to the text and on Monday or even Sunday, I'm sitting down there and I'm like, Lord, I hope there's something in there. And so you're trying to dig it out. And I said, Lord, I looked at this, peace be still. And as I analyzed it further, when you look at it in the original language, in the Greek language, by the way, I believe in the priesthood of all believers. You don't have to know Greek to understand scripture. Nowadays, it's beautiful because you can go online and look up Greek things and it's all there at our fingertips. And so I looked up this phrase, peace be still, and it's two distinct commands. Not one. Two commands, two distinct verbs. The two verbs, as I looked at them more closely, are very similar in meaning, although not identical. One means to be silent at the root. The other one means to be silenced. Peace be still. Two verbs, two commands. But as I looked at the syntax, I was going back to my seminary days, the horrors, and I thought, all right, let's look at the syntax. And I had this rise in blood pressure because I thought of my Greek class, Greek 2 syntax. And I said, all right, what is the tenses of this phrase? And I recognized that there are two tenses that are intentionally placed there when Jesus said the words, peace be still. Two commands, two distinct verbs, two distinct verb tenses. The first verb, peace, the NASB actually says hush, is in the present tense. 
Now, that's a tense that we're all familiar with. This is not something that Jesus said in the past. This is something Jesus said in the present peace. The present tense, hush. The second distinct verb is be still, and it's in the perfect sense. The perfect sense, I looked it up, is the continuation and present state of a completed past action. I thought, oh, what in the world does that mean? (laughs) All right, some scholar wrote this. The continuation and present state of a completed past action, and this is what it really means. In the second verb tense, this is what's happening. The first one is the present tense. Hush, cease the cessation of the previous noisy activity. But the second one is a sustained holding. This is what it looks like. There is the previous point and the continuation of the present state of being. It's a sustained state of being after the previous action has happened. Sustained. Jesus uses these two verbs. To the wind and the waves. Peace. Be still. The first one is a present tense. The second one is the perfect sense. Indicating that it is a sustained continuation of the previous state that has just happened. Now here is a syntactical Greek accurate translation of what took place. Jesus commanded the storm to be silent, present tense, and to sustain a state of silence. Let me say it again. Jesus commanded the storm to be silent, the first verb, and to sustain a state of silence. I scratched my head a long time this week because I was like, all right, what is an analogy that will help us to understand this? When I was a child, being the son of an Asian family, well, my parents gave me piano lessons. And they would bribe me. They said, David, if you take piano lessons, we'll give you a donut or all these types of things. We'll give you more playtime. And so I took piano lessons. Later, I quit. And I look back now. I said, oh, if I only did not quit, you know, maybe I could play piano, especially when I was over at Williamston. I was like, oh, we didn't have a pianist. I said, oh, maybe I could play, but I couldn't play. And so I do know this about a piano. When you hit the key, all right, and you press the sustain pedal, Okay, the note has a point of beginning, and as long as you have that dampener or sustained pedal down, the note is what? Sustained. Okay, the note is sustained. So what Jesus did was not only create a new condition on the Sea of Galilee, which is the first verb, the second verb, was the sustaining of that peace on the Sea of Galilee. I have it here on the screen. The first command was to create peace on the Sea of Galilee. The second command was to sustain peace on the Sea of Galilee. And I believe that this is an attribute of God that Mark is alluding to that we often miss when it comes to God's divinity and the characteristics of God. It is what we call sustaining power. 
God not only has the ability to initiate creation, he has the ability to sustain creation. This is the implication of the verbiage of that passage. Peace, new condition, create a new condition, and to sustain that new condition until I say so. The sustaining power of God. Jesus is not only the creator, he is the sustainer. I have this passage on the screen, Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. For in him, when you look at the context of this passage, this is talking undeniably about Jesus Christ. For in him, Jesus, all things were created, meaning that it was not God the Father that initiated creation, although he was involved in the planning of the creation process. The executor of creation was none other than Jesus Christ, according to Paul. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. For in him, Jesus, all things, what's all things? The universe was created in heaven and on earth. So Paul says that Jesus is the creator. But he goes on in verse 17. And he what? Holds all creation together. For in him, Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, and he holds, he sustains all creation together, meaning that God did not just wind up creation and let it go. The implication is that in order for creation to continue to be sustained, to be maintained, is that the same power that created, sustains, and holds together the universe at its very atoms. That is what Paul is saying. God is not only the creator, he is the sustainer. Peace. Be, be, be still. A sustaining of peace. An initiation and a sustaining. One scholar puts it this way, and notice the language. The form of the verb in the Greek stresses an original organization and a continued maintenance of organization. The power that holds the far-flung orbs of the universe on their appointed courses with mathematical accuracy, the power that holds the particles of the atoms in their predetermined orbits is the same. By the power of Christ, all things cohere. Not only did he bring them into being, he maintains them each moment. The power of God that initiated creation is the, power, is the same power that maintains and sustains creation. Creator, sustainer. I came across this article, Discover Magazine, the glue that holds the world together. There's some very bright people that are trying to figure this stuff out. And I read this article, I couldn't understand half of it, but this I did get. There's a professor, Princeton University, Dr. Frank Welzek. He is a genius. He actually lives in Albert Einstein's old house. He's professor of advanced studies at Princeton University. And he invented what is called the quantum chromodynamics theory. He invented it. He came up with this concept. In a nutshell, quantum chromodynamics studies not the atomic level, 
but the subatomic level, the protons. And his basic thesis is that there are little things, he calls them atomic glue, listen to the language, atomic glue that holds the protons together. He calls them gluons. That's the theory of quantum chromodynamics. And then he starts to talk about what holds the gluons together. And he says, it's a mystery. We don't know what holds the universe together, but we do know that at the very quantum level, and this is the way the article ends. This is the final sentence of the article. If you really study the equations, it gets almost mystical. Now, that's a strange word for a scientist to use. The implication is supernatural, meaning the further you go down into quantum physics as to what holds the universe on a level of subatomic nature, the protons, he says, it is mystical. One of the brightest minds, Princeton University. I'll tell you what, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, he... Christ is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he, there it is, upholds the universe by the word of his power. Not only did God initiate, God is the one holding everything together. God didn't just create and the universe flamed out. God created, and he sustained creation to this very day, even on the subatomic level. When I look at my Christian experience, when I came to Christ, I was a mess. My life was anything but peaceful. It was chaotic, lack of direction, lack of purpose, lack of anything, and I was going to all these things of the world, lack of peace, until I had an interaction with Jesus Christ, a transforming experience, and I had a dramatic change in condition. We call it conversion, the new birth. I am now years into my Christian experience, and I praise God that the same God that initiated my journey sustained me to this very day. Amen? Many times we look at Christian experiences, individuals that have conversions. You ever have hear of a story of someone that dramatically accepts Christ and then they flame out? Well, God is not only the initiator. He is the sustainer. He wants to keep you a Christian, not only make you a Christian. He not only wants to create in you a clean heart, he wants to keep that clean heart within you. Amen? He not only wants to make you into a new individual, he wants you to stay that new individual by his grace. He creates and he sustains. What holds the atom, the very building blocks of matter together? Nothing other than Jesus Christ and his word. What's going to hold your marriage together, your parenting, your sanity? What is going to keep your world from falling apart? Only one thing, the word of his power. 
Where is the source of God's sustaining grace, God's sustaining power? It's in the Word of God. By the grace of God, when I wake up in the morning, I go to a room that we have in our house. And by the grace of God, every single day, I wake up, my wife and I have a time of devotion together. Then we go to the Word of God individually, and I study the Word, because not only do I want to become a Christian, I want to stay a Christian. And it's only by daily dependence upon the sustaining power of God that we can continue to be a Christian, the sustaining power of Jesus Christ. I praise the Lord for the fast class that we're going through. We have memory verses, and on my phone, I have a series of memory verses that I go through regularly, and as I'm standing in line at the grocery store, I'm going through my memory verse because I recognize that not only should I start my Christian experience with God in the morning, but I need to be sustained throughout the day. Only one thing, the word of his power. God sustains. Jesus is my sustainer. I'm wondering if there's someone here today that in the quietness of your own heart, you became a Christian, but you're finding that fire is starting to die. You're finding that your first love is starting to wane. You became a Christian, but you're having problems staying a Christian. There's hope for us today, amen? Jesus is our sustainer. I want to invite you to stand with me as we prepare to close this morning, every head bowed and eyes closed. I just want to give an open invitation, opening the doors of the church here today. Every head bowed, eyes closed. Perhaps you've heard God speaking to your heart today. Perhaps you hear his voice calling to you. And you have not made a decision to follow Jesus, to fully accept him as your savior. And you want to do so. You want to say, Lord, please create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. If that's your desire, you just want to say, Lord, I accept the provision of Jesus Christ by faith. I want to be saved. I want to accept you as Savior of my life. I want to invite you to raise your hand right now in the quietness. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. I want to accept you as Savior of my life. God bless you. God bless you. My second appeal is this. Perhaps you've been a Christian for many years. But you're finding, perhaps in the quietness of your own heart, that you're having a challenge keeping that fire going. And today you would like to claim by faith the sustaining power of Jesus Christ. He started the work, but you want God to continue the work, to uphold you, to strengthen you. The same God that created can sustain. And you want to say, Lord, today, I don't know, I don't know what it is in my own heart, but you do. And you want to say, Lord, please, by your grace, keep me a Christian. 
Keep me sustained. If that's your desire, I want to invite you to come forward for special prayer here this morning. You want to say, Lord, I need God's sustaining power in my life. I don't want to be a Christian that just starts out and flames out. I want to be a Christian by the grace of God that begins the Christian experience and sustains the Christian experience. Lord, I need your power today as found in your word. Lord, help me, Father, for I cannot help myself. Please, Lord, make me a Christian and keep me a Christian by your grace. God bless you. God bless you. We need to be totally dependent upon Jesus Christ. Coming forward just says, Lord, I need your help. I need your strength. Sustain me by your grace. Let's bow our heads for special prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you're the God of creation. We also thank you that you're the God that holds everything together. Father, we thank you that the same God that created the universe from nothing can create in us a clean heart. We also thank you that the same God that sustains the universe on its very, in its very atoms can sustain us. The same God that puts us together can keep us together. We thank you for the God that starts the work and finishes the work. And Lord, I pray for every person that's come forward here this morning. Lord, we need you to sustain us, to keep us from falling. Father, I pray that you'd bless us with your Holy Spirit and that the God that works in us both to will and to do of your good pleasure can by the grace and the righteousness of Christ present you before the Father with exceeding joy. I pray for this for every single individual, for we ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www dot audioverse dot org